Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, before we get started, I would love to tell you about something fun that I put together. I put together a quiz for you, What's Your Instagram Superpower? This will highlight your strengths and also showcase some areas you can grow in because I know so many of you are using Instagram to increase your online presence, to grow your brand or business, and it really changed the game for me. It allowed me to go from my day job to my dream job. So check out the quiz. Let me know your results. I'm dying to hear what you thought of it. Welcome back, guys. I'm so glad you're here with me for another week at the Radiant Podcast. And today I have my friend Meredith King of True to Life Ministries joining me. She became a fast friend, and I know you're going to love our conversation. She's been going at it for over 10 years, and I love having conversations with leaders who have walked out their calling with longevity. So there is so much to learn from this conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hey, Meredith. Hey, Kelsey. I am so excited you're here. I love that we've gotten connected with one another and that and to see what you're doing with True to Life Ministries. And I would just love for you to kind of start out by sharing about yourself, how you got into what you're doing, how you launched your dreams, and yeah, just start us off. Okay. Well, Kelsey, first of all, I love getting to meet you and I love the work that you're doing. So I'm thrilled to get to have this conversation with you. Uh, that first question is a doozy. So, <laughs> so let me see what I can do to hit a few of those um, high points for you. Um, so let me think uh, a little bit about me. I'm a mama of two girls. I have two daughters, ages six and two. So it pretty much looks like pink exploded all over my house almost <laughs> every single day. And we have just learned to love and embrace that. And my husband is a master tea party guy. He oh. fully embraced being a daddy of daughters. So, Oh, I love that. So that's pretty fantastic. And my husband is my high school sweetheart. So we dated off and on for nine years before we decided to get married. Wow. So there was a little drama there, but at least it was mostly with each other. <laughs> And, um, and then, you know, eight years ago, we decided to say yes to an opportunity. God to really put on our hearts to turn our lives upside down and start a nonprofit organization. And it sounds like it came out of nowhere, but it really didn't. Um, I'm a preacher's kid. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> and my father had a kind of a non-traditional perspective on ministry. So growing up, he did a lot of inner city work and I'm an only child. So I went everywhere with my dad. And so as he was working with addicts and gang members and women who were engaged in prostitution, um, I got to see the transforming power of the gospel and what it looked like for someone's life to go from visible darkness to light. And I think that really sunk in pretty deep to my soul. And 
Um, when David and I met in high school, we often talked about the fact that both of us felt like someday we wanted to start something like what is now True to Life Ministries, the nonprofit that we started. But honestly, Kelsey, I really felt like it would be a hobby when I retired someday. I really wasn't expecting it to happen when it did. So wow. that's kind of the short version of a little background for you. That is so cool. So can you tell us about what you do with True to Life Ministries? Yeah. So a big catalyst for starting True to Life was actually a hurricane here. I live on the Texas Gulf Coast where hurricanes are an occasional reality. And one hit um, in our community and I was working in a corporate job that I loved. But, you know, in the aftermath of that storm, got involved in some relief effort And that really took me to the front line of some of the need that was right here in our community. And I've been gone from here for a long time, and we had just moved back, and then hello, hurricane. And there was this group of women that kept ending up in the line for assistance that I was working. And it didn't matter if I was doing food or FEMA assistance, whatever it was, they kept ending up in my line. And they were facing some major life challenges from addiction to homelessness domestic uh, violence, really trying to put their lives on track, and they didn't know where to start. And they really were pretty convinced God could never love them. And because they were open to it, we started meeting once a week in a pretty dilapidated apartment in a nearby town. And for a year, we just walked through the basic elements of the gospel together. And as we were doing that, you know, I I tried to start connecting them to resources that could be helpful to them as they were trying to change their lives and get on track. And what I realized is that while our community had a lot of great crisis resources, crisis intervention, like food pantries or crisis pregnancy help centers and things, which are vital and absolutely needed, there was this gap of long-term assistance to help someone change their lives, like to really make sure that they could connect to what they needed. So when we started True to Life back in 2009, um, we just recognized that there are a lot of people kind of stuck in this pit of poverty. And while it's nice to throw in some resources into that pit, some clothes, some food, some dollars, I don't know, Kelsey, if if you or I were stuck in a pit, I think we'd both really want someone to send us a ladder and like jump in and help us climb out. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So that's kind of the the heart and perspective of True to Life is how do we take a ladder, jump into the pit of poverty and help people climb out no matter how long it takes. So that's kind of the perspective. And we do that through four key areas of work. We help Uh, through employment and education services. So helping adults take their next steps toward employment. We've got free classes and workshops and one-on-one assistance to help people pursue their next job because God made us to work and there's so much dignity with that. Um, And then we have mentoring and case management services. So that's where real life change gets down to the nitty gritty, where we sit down and say, what are your goals? What are the mountain-sized obstacles standing in your way? How are we going to overcome them? And then we connect those individuals to a mentor who loves Jesus and who loves them and that's willing to walk the journey with them for up to 18 months, uh, which is pretty transformative. Um, We do a lot of work with at-risk high school students, more on the prevention side, but certainly also intervention if they're struggling academically um, or personally. 
Uh, we partner with our local school district to do that work through student clubs and case management and then summer programs for students as well. And then, Kelsey, we have a business. Uh, True to Life has a boutique called Refresh. It is a social enterprise, and it is a living classroom. So we actually employ young adults, 18 to 25, um, who are needing to restart their lives. And it's an intensive program where they connect to vocational or like a degree program, vocational training or a degree program through our community college while they're working with us on life skills, emotional health, taking steps forward, learning how to um, be the person that God really created them to be. And after 12 months, um, if they have made all of the progress that should happen along the way, um, they graduate and transition into a livable wage job. So that's kind of the work of True to Life in a nutshell. Um, It's very humbling. The stories are hard sometimes. Um, Human suffering is never easy. Uh, But that brokenness just reminds us of our own brokenness and our need for Jesus. And we count it a privilege to get to do this work. I am just like enamored by your story. I think it is so cool. So before we really dive into more questions I have for you, can you explain to our listeners what a social enterprise is? Because really, it seems like other countries have a lot of um, guidelines and tax structures for social enterprises, but it's a little bit of a newer concept to the United States. Yeah, so well, I can tell you what it looks like for us. And then um, I have some friends who are in the for-profit sector, and I kind of know what that looks like on their end. So um, the most simple definition of a social enterprise, and you tell me if this is your understanding, is just a business that has a greater purpose than the owner profiting from the company. So normally a percentage of the proceeds support a specific cause, um, either inside of their own organization or outside. So um, our store carries several give back lines, um, meaning products that give back uh, to social causes. So those businesses often give back. So um a lot of them are social enterprises. For us at True to Life, it's a little different because our business is underneath our nonprofit organization. So True to Life Ministries, which doesn't have a single owner because no nonprofit does, it's governed by a board of directors. True to Life owns, quote unquote, the business of Refresh. So there's not a single person that's profiting from Refresh. In fact, when you see a business operating as a job training program inside of a nonprofit, it usually operates at a loss because job training in that capacity is one of the most expensive methodologies of life change, but it's also one of the most highly effective. So um, Refresh, the business exists to give our job trainees uh, a job that is flexible enough that they can attend classes, go to counseling, do case management, meet with their mentor, and things like that, but also building their job history and teaching them the basics of how to be a great employee. So that's kind of what it looks like for us. But a good tax attorney or an accountant can help someone figure out the logistics. Yeah, I love it. I think it's very, I mean, social enterprises are much more on the rise now. Like Tom's kind of really paved the way for that. Yes. Give back models. But, you know, 
you're right. There, it's not like the founder of Tom's is receiving all of the profit after you know he pays all of his employees. They're putting a lot of the money back into producing materials that they give away, or you know whatever. So I, I love getting to shed light on that because it is kind of an uh, on the rise um, thing to create businesses that are socially conscious and give back to making our world a better place. And I I love it. Yeah. So in a for profit setting, a social enterprise makes giving almost, you know, a line item on their budget, right? So you still have an owner who has rights to, or a group of owners or investors who have rights to profit, but a significant portion on, you know, on their budget, they've got some line items that give some of those proceeds back based on their income and sales. And that may be a little more, you know, too many logistics, but that's kind of the difference. And then a, a social enterprise that's owned by a nonprofit, it's like, any other program, um, it all just stays inside yeah. of the organization. Well, because it's giving, if it does make profit, it's giving back to the organization it's under. Yes, exactly. Which That's is right. so cool. And I just, I, I love what you guys are doing. So what has been one of your favorite um, success stories of women who have kind of gone through your program that you've gotten to walk alongside? Yeah, so... Um, you know what's awesome is now, um, in the early days, True to Life focused on women because we had to start somewhere, but now we work with men and women. Oh! Pretty much an equal measure, and uh, which is a really neat opportunity. But one of my favorite stories was a young woman, she was around 21 years old, who was referred to True to Life by a local church. She was completely alone in her life. Um, If you looked back over her childhood, she had gone through every traumatic experience that you can possibly imagine, and had never met anyone more alone than she. And she came to True to Life because she was desperate for help. Um, At 21, she'd moved to our area. She had a part-time job. She was able to afford to rent um, a pretty dilapidated trailer, but when her job cut back her hours... She couldn't keep her housing, so she was homeless and sleeping in her storage unit in the month of August. And Kelsey, oh. down here with the humidity over 90% in the month of August, the heat index is well over 100. No electricity, no running water. Um, she had a GED, but no plan for future education or for her career, and she didn't even know where to start. And um, so she came to True to Life looking for hope, um, like so many of our clients do, And we were able to connect her with a mentor. We helped her outline her goals and figure out, you know, what is it that's in your heart to do? And, you know, if you could pick a job or your next job, what would that look like? And what kind of education do we need to pursue for that? We were able to find a private room um, in a home for her to rent that fit inside of her budget so that she could get out of the storage unit. Because if she would have gotten caught, she would have been arrested. And we invited her to come and work in our job training program. So she got more hours than she would have if she'd stayed working at the grocery store part-time. We were able to help her enroll in college. Uh, She wanted to work in an office. And our local college has some great certification programs for administrative support and things like that. She started making A's in those classes. She was so proud of the fact that she was a college student Um, While she was here working during the week, she attended all of our classes, went through all of our job training processes. She graduated after a year 
and went on to get a higher paying job. And before long, she landed a job in a local business as an office professional. And before long after that, she was able to move into her apartment, her own apartment. And Kelsey, one of my favorite days was the day she came to tell us she lived or she had just moved into her own apartment. She moved in with no furnishings. She had nothing, but it was hers. And she was so excited to sleep on the floor for the first time in her new apartment. And our entire office erupted in joy. People were running out of their offices and jumping up and down and clapping and celebrating with her. And that's not an unusual thing. Celebrating people's a big part of true to life's culture. Um, But, you know, I think I really saw transformation in her life when about six months after that, I got a text message from her one day and she said, hey, Mayor, um, I met a lady at a gas station and she's homeless and I'm wondering what we can do to help her. And it was the we in that sentence that just made me want to jump up out of my chair because no longer was she just on the receiving end. She was on the giving end. She saw that she had a contribution to make. And, you know, her life is not problem free, but God has brought her so far and hope has certainly come alive in her heart. It's amazing to see. That is incredible. And really, I mean, I teared up just listening to that because you're right, that that pivot from receiving to being part of the solution for someone else is so cool and just amazing. We really try to put people in that seat as often as we can, uh, because they definitely feel like they don't belong there. But when they start to realize that already, even in the current state of their struggle, they have something to share, God just does something. And so next week, we have 18 at-risk high school students coming to hang out with us for six weeks for our summer program. And, And they'll do that. We have service projects. And these are kids who have at times been in homeless shelters or experience significant struggle, and then they're going to go back and serve in some of those places because we want them to know that already right now you have something that the world needs because God put it in you. Wow. That is so, so cool. So how do you juggle all the things? It, you know, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a director of True to Life. You also do coaching. Um, I would love to hear, I mean, obviously we have had a lot of conversation this year around balance, but what are your thoughts there? (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I was speaking at a conference yesterday on this topic. And (laughs) um, so let me just tell you, this is something that's very much on my mind. And anything that I share is not someone who has arrived or has it (laughs) under control. I am so in the trenches of figuring this out. Uh, first of all, I think balance is a joke. Like, well, <laughs> I think it's a myth. I think the concept of like this zen-like, beautiful state all the time where angels are singing <laughs> and there's a cool breeze and everything is just perfect, that is not realistic. There's something in us that thinks it should be real in our lives and that causes us to be frustrated and to feel like we're not doing something right. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, Kelsey, we've not had a chance to sit together in person, 
but it would take you all of five minutes to realize that I absolutely do not do yoga. Okay. (laughs) Um, or Pilates or anything like that. I wish I could. I have great friends who do it and here's what their experience has taught me. Um, you know, I look at my friends who've been doing yoga and Pilates for all these years and they have impeccable balance and, you know, solid core strength, but the only way they got it was by putting their bodies in ridiculous poses that cause tension and stress to build their muscle (laughs) and, um, and to build their balance. And I think that's kind of how life is. I think the tension can be a good thing if we see it as something that is helping us grow. And the other thing that I believe is that we get ourselves in trouble when we think everything needs equal attention. And it doesn't, it just needs appropriate attention. And I'm, I'm really learning and contemplating the fact that life absolutely comes in seasons. And different seasons require different things to get different amounts of appropriate attention. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, I am a Dave Ramsey fan. Kelsey, uh-huh. are you a Dave Ramsey fan? Oh, yeah. And he, I'm from Nashville, and, like, I have multiple friends who work for him. Oh, hello. So, That's awesome. One of my lifelong dreams is to meet Dave Ramsey, just so you know. It, it, I, I am not kidding. All of my friends who work for him, he has done something incredible with his company culture. I mean, yes. they really have nailed it. I, I am fascinated by their company culture. It is fascinating. Someday I'm going to meet him face to face and thank him for the difference he's made in my life. <laughs> David and I learned some crazy lessons with budgeting back when we first got married. Pre, you know, Financial Peace University. Uh-huh. We, we made this budget and then it took us all of 60 days to like throw it away because it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is we try to make the perfect budget for the perfect month and the perfect month doesn't exist. And we learned that later. Um, And so it is with our time and life balance. So every season requires something different from us. So if we're not evaluating and restructuring how we're shelling out our attention, then we're going to feel like we're doing it wrong. And um, so I think that's really important for us to know and to understand. And so, you know, when True to Life started, Kelsey, I didn't have kids. So I could work 100 hours a week and it was not a problem. Right. Uh, We had a Friday night date night that was standing. We never missed it. So if our weeks took us in opposite directions, we knew Friday night, boom, David and I have a date. We're going to reconnect. And I could give so much of my attention to my work. But life doesn't look like that now. And so that's kind of where I am in processing through uh, life balance. What, what, what are your thoughts? What do you think about it? Yeah, it's, I love what you said about it. Balance doesn't mean equal attention to everything. And so it, it, what I'm gathering from, you know, hearing constant conversation about it and really like soaking it up because, you know, any new thing I, I learn is valuable to me because really I think our goal necessarily when we say we want balance is just to live in harmony and peace. You know, we all know the feeling or anyone who's a doer knows the feeling of feeling overwhelmed by all the things to do and all of the commitments and being pulled in a thousand directions. And you're right. Like I'm sure your kids and your husband get more attention a lot of days than true to life ministries. But then right before a conference, they might know like you're going to be busy 
and you have, you know, crock pot, crock pot meals ready and you might not be home till eight because you're prepping for, you know, the fundraiser Friday. And so, and, and they get it. It doesn't make them any less valuable. It just means that a little more of your time goes somewhere else each week and that fluctuates depending on the demands, you know, of any given day. And so I, I think for me, you know, I was very out of balance. Um, and so for me, striving towards balance was helpful, even though it's like, you know, the ever elusive ideal, but it was still helpful in helping me hit reset because I got to a place in February where I quit all the things <laughs> and yes. I really restructured and rewired how I was spending my time because you're right. I don't have kids yet. And I could, be, I, definitely fall into let's work 100 hours a week like this will pay off um Mm -hmm. but you know that's only sustainable for so long how did you transition out of that because I, I my husband is very good at rest I mean he is the ultimate peacemaker on the Enneagram so just so chill <laughs> so chill and teaches me a lot but I mean I think I almost warm out over the past two years <laughs> at the pace at which I ran and I, I just got to a place where it's like okay like this is not sustainable <laughs> let's uh, build some connection and slow down so um, what how did you slow down how did you stop working 100 hours a week you know um, for me it came just in realizing that I couldn't keep the, keep up with the pace, you know? And so my health kind of started to fall apart um, because I didn't make the changes proactively. I wish I had this great story of learning from other people's wisdom and adopting those practices early. But Kelsey, that's not my story. <laughs> my story comes from a place of pain and, you know, and it's been a journey. So there've been some seasons where I've done a much better job than others. And that's not going to go away. Um, because as seasons change, we've got to renegotiate where our time and attention is going. So, you know, when my daughter Abigail arrived on the scene, it took me about a year to just kind of snap to the fact that life was going to look really different. And, um, and it changed a lot. And so there's even practical things. Like I realized, wow, I need a speaking engagement capacity. Uh, because I can't travel all the time. And I can't, you know, I want to be home for bedtimes most of the time. So there's some simple things like I have a number of evenings that I'll be out during the week for work commitments or speaking commitments. But once that capacity is reached, I'm home for the rest of the bedtimes. And it doesn't matter what opportunity comes, you know, whether it's a social opportunity or a friend opportunity, um, if it's going to take me away past my bedtime capacity, then the answer is no, um, because I want to say yes to being at home for bedtime. Um, my husband is a worship pastor, and I love our local church, and I, I think that the local church is an important part of our Christian walk, and so I have a capacity on the number of Sundays I'll miss in a year, um, And as the executive director of True to Life, one of my greatest joys is getting to connect with our church partners. But once the Sunday capacity is spent, that's it. I'm going to be at my home church for the rest of of those Sundays. So there's some practical things like that. But about a year and a half ago, life really had to change because um, I've got some crazy thyroid disease things happening, and that's a whole other story. But um, it really kind of got the best of me. And I, I couldn't function. I was spending a lot of time in bed and I just really had to slow down my life to a snail's pace. And that is against everything natural inside of me. 
And so as I have, you know, started feeling better and putting pieces back together in my life, I've just put them back differently and um, recommitted to some things that I already had in motion and just started creating quiet. You know, um, I think a lot of it is perspective change. I still work full time. I still do the coaching. I still write. I still speak. And I love all of that. Um, but my perspective on my life is different. And sometimes I think that balance starts on the inside, um, because that's where peace can come from and, um, through Jesus. And that has certainly helped me approach some of those challenges. And then there are simple things like, you know, I really wait 24 hours before making a major time commitment and saying yes to something that's a big deal, or, um, I delegate or outsource some things that are time consuming for me. Um, and we've adjusted our budget to be able to do that. Like we don't have cable so that we can get some help in some other areas. Um, so it's, it's not one thing. It's a whole lot of little things. Man. uh, I mean, you, you spoke some truth right there. And you know, one thing I hear quite often is that the women I'm interviewing here on the Radiant Podcast, conversations I'm having in real life, my own story. I mean, I know a few episodes I can count on a hand where people have said the same thing. Like we've been in bed for a week or two at a time due to overtaxing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I too have a thyroid thing going on. And so I know I know the feeling of being in bed at four. <laughs> and it it is, if, if there is anything I can say to our listeners is to... Slow down before your body makes you slow down because it's not yes. worth it. No, it's totally not. It's totally not. But I'm so glad that um, even if you hit the wall and you end up in bed, you can get up again eventually. Yes. And when you do, you can put life together differently than it was before. And if we don't get it right in this season, Lord willing, we get to try it again in the next season. Yeah. And so there's no shame. There's no guilt. You know, it's not... We don't have to beat ourselves up over overextending ourselves. We just need to call it what it is and do life differently tomorrow. Yeah. Pick up and start over and hit reset. Yes. And, and for me, yeah, it's like I, I definitely got to a place where I was crashing and burning and I decided I don't have to stay like this and I made some choices and, you know, I'm back on the uphill, up, uphill climb with a lot more healthy habits. Um, mm-hmm. And I, have you found that when you don't, work a hundred hours and you actually work with a semblance of balance in your life that you're more productive and you have better results? Yes. You know, in the early days, the, the startup days, um, I have some pretty strong entrepreneurial tendencies and I'd love to work. So I could be really productive for a hundred hours a week, but Kelsey, I'm not quite as young as I used to be. <laughs> I'm not old and I totally know that, but something is not the same. And so yes, when I keep those hours in balance, they're way more productive. And let's just be honest, I'm a lot less grouchy. Oh, girl, you're, I, I feel you. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I feel you. You're speaking my language. So I, I mean, I can get, I like, I too like to work. It's fun. And honestly, when I'm bored, that's what I want to do. Well, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Why don't I get something done? Let's yes. create a PDF. That's a freemium to capture emails, whatever. Um, I am always thinking of the next thing. And you better believe there's like thousands of little post-it notes floating around my computer that are just ideas. 
But yes. again, it's just like, you know, when I work a little smarter and not harder, I am mm-hmm. seeing better results. And I'm actually, you know, I'll definitely be the first to say, you know, I quit everything in February and I started rewiring myself. And the first three, four months were pretty uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. having a Saturday off and not working because I had space to fill was a little weird. I felt antsy. I felt very bored. But creating healthier habits of saying, no, like I'm not going to go get on my computer just because I can. And I'm going to learn how to be and I'm going to pick up a book because I used to enjoy this. So I'm going to slow back down and figure out how to enjoy it again. It's like I had to practice rest. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's important to practice. I don't think it comes naturally to most of us. I think it's maybe it's part of the fall. You know, I mean, I think that our natural tendency is to not be still and to be quiet. Um, Otherwise, I don't think God would have had to send us the message to be still and know that he's Uh, God. That's true. If we were naturally going to do that on our own, he wouldn't have needed to give us a reminder. And, but I want to be more still. I I want to be more present. I, um, I want to take time to create quiet. And I definitely have been in seasons where my go-to is to zone out via Netflix. And I mean, I'm a huge fan. Don't get me wrong. I love binge watch, binge watching, you know, series with the best of them. But I definitely know that doesn't recharge my soul. And so one of the small changes that I've made uh, since January is I plan my quiet times. And I don't just mean Bible study. That's, that's its own thing. I mean, I plan times that are quiet every week. And they're at different times every week because no week looks the same. So it's back to that budgeting. Like there's no perfect budget month, you know, there's no perfect calendar week either. And so I have just learned that two or three times a week, I've got a pencil in and mentally plan when I'm going to find some quiet. Maybe it's a bubble bath. Maybe it's just sitting, you know, for 20 minutes before the house wakes up doing nothing, not writing in my journal, not reading scripture. I might be meditating on scripture and my thoughts, but I'm not actively doing anything. I'm just sitting and I'm just being still. Um, That has made a huge difference for me. But if I'm not intentional, then the week comes and it goes and I didn't have any quiet. Yep. So that's been a big game changer. And my circumstances don't change because of that. But my perspective about my circumstances and my day-to-day life change because of that. Oh, yeah. And I'm with you. I mean, scheduling time to do nothing has been so renewing for me. I mean, I got to a point in the winter when my body was hurting because it was crashing and burning. And Mm -hmm. I, it was craving rest where I just, all I wanted to do was take a bath twice a day. And it's the only thing that helped with the pain. And it was the only time I could really like unwind and rest. And so if you've got to start small, you know, do that. Schedule a 10-minute bath, even if it's in the middle of your day. Do whatever it takes to kind of prioritize resting and start practicing. And and that rest gets more comfortable and you really start to love it (laughs) once you practice. And we don't have to feel guilty for that. It's, It's, we're totally allowed to have permission to do that. And, and I think it's vital, especially if we're going to be effective in the long run. And, you know, as somebody in my early 30s, like, I, Lord willing, I want to live a long time. And I don't want to give out, you know, halfway through the race. I want to have some endurance here. And I'm realizing 
the wisdom that comes in making time for rest. I don't have it down perfectly, but I'm learning. Oh, yeah. And it, it really will allow you to carry your vision and your dreams with longevity. Um, and I yes. think uh, I'm learning the hard way. So <laughs> you also coach and encourage women in leadership. Can you share a little more about that? Yes. One of my favorite things is to walk alongside um, women who are leading organizations to reach their communities or leading ministries or even leading business, but trying to do it with a kingdom perspective. When I think about the next season of my life and the way to have an impact that multiplies, um, I'm very much aware that I am a steward of the days that God has given me. And I want to be a good steward of those days. And I think um, impact multiplies when we encourage leaders, when we equip them, when we empower them with tools and resources and encouragement that will help them be effective in carrying out the assignment that God has given them. That's how we change the world. I don't think there's a shortage of people with ideas or opportunity to make an impact, but they might lack some resources, some knowledge, or some support that they need. And so if we really want to look at different, look at making a difference in the world, um, investing in those leaders is a great way to do it. So um, right now, you know, I've got a handful of leaders that I jump on a call with every month um, to encourage them. We have a series of, you know, topics and tools and resources that we go through. And then, Kelsey, I've had the opportunity to, to do a little bit of work with the company that I used to work for before we started True to Life um, and working with some churches and parachurch ministry uh, organizations on strategies and organizational development to help them carry out the mission that God has given them. I have loved doing that work again. Um, I don't do a ton, but I get to do it a little bit, and it's such a joy. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing there. And it's so neat to see what God is doing globally because some of these leaders are in India or other places and they're on the front lines of some serious work. And it's just such a privilege to get to be a little part of that. That is so cool. Do you have any habits that you kind of recognize as universal for healthy leaders? Oh, there's a long list, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, you know, leadership kind of is universal. I mean, it plays itself out differently in different cultural contexts, but the principles are so much the same. And um, especially with the women that I'm working with right now, um, a lot of the struggle is what we just described. You know, how do you balance your life and your work and do both well? You know, what does that look like? Um, but one of the things that comes up a lot is just the importance of leaders being learners. I mean, if we're breathing, we should be learning at no point. Could we ever say I've totally tapped out my potential? So I'm done. You know, (laughs) I've not met the leader who really is convinced, you know, they're living out their life's greatest potential yet. There's always more room. If we're breathing, we should be learning. And, um, and I think that's kind of twofold. It's reaching forward to learn from people who are further in the journey than we are. And it's reaching behind to invest in those coming along behind. And I think great leaders understand that. And so we talk a lot about how to do that, how to learn. What are we learning right now? Um, how are we overcoming our personal constraints, the things that trip us up? Because we all have them. And um, 
And then how are we investing in those coming along behind? And what does that look like? I think that's pretty important. Oh, man, those were all such good tips. I mean, if I could just reiterate, leaders are learners. I mean, mic drop, boom. I I so agree. And I, I love learning. I know that in order for me to steward my team well, I need to be learning. There's, I definitely haven't arrived. And I, and I also know the flip side of working with people who, who definitely project that they have arrived. And I don't think. And isn't that a shame? Yes. It's a shame, Kelsey. It's such a shame because it's like, man, like you actually have potential to grow in some areas. And I, I would love to see you walk in more fullness and freedom so that you could be a better leader. But you can't even recognize that because you don't think you need to grow in any areas. Mm-hmm. So self-awareness goes a long way. I mean, we got to chat about that a little bit before the call, but self-awareness goes such a long way because I know there are pain points in my life. I am not so arrogant as to think I've got it all figured out at 27. And so, you know, I, I want to be learning because I definitely um, want to be faithful to steward the small things so that I'm ready and healthy to steward the big things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one thing that, that also comes to mind is just, you know, great leaders know how to make other people shine. Yes. And they're totally content to lead from behind. And that's kind of counterintuitive to, you know, do more, be more, be seen more that we often kind of feel the pressure of in our culture. But the great leaders that I know, not only often have a visible platform. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but, but they know how to pull people around them that have potential and gifts and talents, and they know how to orchestrate them excelling in their potential. And, um, and they rejoice in that. They're not threatened by it. They're not, they don't feel overshadowed by it. It is truly something to rejoice about. And I think, I think that's, you know, a lot like Jesus, but I think that's an important characteristic of leadership. And, and, you know, I also get to talk a lot about simple things like how to have meetings that are productive <laughs> or, um, you know, how to fully engage your team so that everybody's contributing to the mission and it's measurable or, you know, how to take a dream, a vision, an idea and make it a reality. How do you do that and make sure that people are actually doing work worth paying for and, um, and that they're accountable, you know, for that work. So the conversations that I get to have with leaders really kind of run the gamut. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's great. I love it. I love it. I love getting to hear you chat about that because it seems like, you know, you really have gotten a, gr- a grasp on what, what is really helpful for leadership and what, what you're seeing working. So you run true to life with your husband. You know, we got to work together for a short time, but David, works full-time at a church. So um, I, um, we don't officially get to work together anymore, but um, we're both on the board as founders. So, um, you know, he's certainly an important part still of the work of True to Life. And then, then we have a staff of uh, 15 people um, who, who do this and about 400 volunteers that help carry out the work. So it's, wow. a, it's an incredible team. Um, what has been a lesson for you in leading 400 volunteers? I mean, I'm sure that's been stretching in so many ways. How, how has that changed you for the good? 
Well, do you want to know about leadership in general here at True to Life or just specifically with volunteers? Oh, leadership in general. And however you want to approach that question, really. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's been some really hard lessons. Um, man, you know, I think, okay, I'm just going to be vulnerable and I'm going to lay it out for you. Um, I really was a little naive in thinking that because True to Life was going to do good work and we were going to center on the gospel that other believers would easily support that work. Not, I'm not even talking about financially, but just like, you know, in their heart. And so the first round of serious criticism that came my way um, broke my heart. And leading definitely puts you in a place to receive a lot of feedback. Right. Some of it, high five, attaboy. Some of it is very critical words and, and feedback that can feel like devastating blows. And, um, and I really, it caused me to confront my need for people to like me and really have to hold that palms up in front of the father and ask him to reestablish my identity based on him alone So that when people didn't like me or didn't like the work or a decision that we made or whatever, that it would not shake me. And it's a, it's an interesting balance. Well, you know, you don't want to just believe all good things, but you know, that's why it's so important to have truth tellers in our lives that are close to us to point out the things in our lives that we need to change. Right. Um, And maybe we do something wrong and we need to hear that from those people. Um, But you know, I think that if we're going to do anything of significance or size that's making a splash in eternity, at some point we're going to get some criticism. Totally and agree. It's tough. You know, it's hard. It's pretty devastating. And then to love those people. It is. It, it really is. Um, it's gotten easier, you know, certainly um, it's a little easier now, but sometimes it still makes me cry, you know? Oh, yeah. And I feel like I've been in a year of owning what I believe about myself um, from God's perspective, obviously, like what God believes about me and being Mm -hmm. open to, you know, being refined, but also like not letting the opinion, whether it's affirmation or criticism of others, shape my own view about myself, because Mm -hmm. that is a hard, painful and lonely lesson. Yes. And two other things that come to mind just about what I've learned in this leadership journey. One is, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. If I could go back eight years ago and say, you know, something to Meredith when we were first starting True to Life, it would be that, you know, sister, let some of the angst go. Um, Not everything has to be perfect. It doesn't have to be successful right out of the gate. Failure is okay. Um, innovation is going to lead to failure at some point in time. And when it happens, celebrate the lessons and don't beat yourself up. I was a little hard on myself if something didn't go as planned or um, if I felt like I let our team down somehow. And um, I've really learned uh, that permission to fail is such an important part of growth. So that's been a good lesson. And then also just the 
the privilege of being able to receive grace from the teams that we lead, um, to be honest about our failures, to be transparent about our struggles, and to let them love on us back. You know, I love loving on them and extending grace, but it's been humbling to um, allow them to, to send that back my way. That is, man, you are full of just good words today. I'm just like fascinated <laughs> and really, um, and I'm honored to just even get to hear your story because I feel like everything you're saying, I can find, um, I, I find it to be so relevant to my life. And I know a lot of our listeners as well, um, are, are making their own dreams happen and mm-hmm. can really, um, take away some golden nuggets from this conversation to live, um, a life that they are enjoying and that they feel honors the Lord and that they can grow in. I, I just think all everything you have to say has been just so valuable. And I've so loved hearing you talk about leadership um, and growing and just creating a healthy lifestyle as a leader. Um, one thing I want to touch on that you mentioned before, you know, in our, in our chat via email before we got started is, um, Marriage. You you like talking about marriage, and obviously yeah. you're two people in ministry. I always, maybe for selfish purposes, although I'm sure we have some listeners in the same boat, I always love listening to how two people married to one another in ministry <laughs> navigate it, especially if they're doing different things. So your husband's a worship pastor at a church. That's his job. You're not necessarily on staff there. Maybe you are, mm-hmm. but you think no, totally got, not. Then you've got totally true not. to life ministries and that's your thing. And I'm sure that comes with demands on both of your schedules. I know it I, from, from what you shared, it sounds like the first year of marriage was a little tough. And so I, I would love to kind of hear your story there. Yeah. So, um, you know, it is challenging, um, to have careers that are pretty demanding, not just in our time, but on us emotionally, um, you know, I think leadership is emotionally draining. Sometimes it didn't matter <laughs> if you're in ministry or not. Um, and as a Christ follower, everything we do is a ministry assignment. <laughs> um, but, you know, David and I dated off and on for nine years. And uh, we got married when I was 23. And so we'll celebrate 11 years of marriage in September. And so we just passed a decade and, um, you know, we got married with all of the hopes and dreams that everyone gets married with. I mean, we were just so excited to finally start this new life together. We moved, um, for my job back to college station, Texas, the home of Texas A&M and, um, moved into a new house, a new community. And for three months, we were living the dream, Kelsey. We were absolutely living the dream. Everything was fantastic. I mean, we were broke as all get out and (laughs) we couldn't afford cable or internet, but we were having the time of our lives. And then tragedy after tragedy after tragedy struck and hit really close to home and just devastated our lives. Um, It's just unthinkable tragedy. And so we were so much in the throes of grief and heartbreak. Um, especially my husband, um, his, his youngest brother, um, had, you know, he died and it was a very tragic, um, set of circumstances that led to that, that really surfaced a lot of pain and heartache from the past. And so, you know, this husband that I loved and and respected and had admired for years, 
um, went through a very difficult season in his relationship with Jesus. The guitar went under the bed and, um, he was shut down emotionally. I was shut down emotionally and just from pure pain. And I remember the day that we had our first big argument as a married couple and we were both so hurting that I just didn't feel like we could even find resolution. I I locked myself in the bathroom for an hour because, you know, every married couple, when you have your first fight and you want to run away and go home, you realize, well, crap, I'm home. Like, I can't, where am I going to go? (laughs) So I went to the bathroom and shut the door and, um, was just telling the Lord, this is not what I signed up for. And if life is going to be like this, then I don't know how, I don't know how to move forward. I don't think I can do this. And I did not hear the audible voice of God, but it was pretty close. And he just really said to me, Meredith, what on earth ever made you think that this was about your comfort? Love endures. And that was what I needed to hear. And, um, you know, David now, when he reflects back on that season, he describes it as if God was like the friend that just sat with him in silence, you know? And, and I was mad because I was like, God, I had these great visions of having Bible studies and prayer times with my family or with my husband. And I don't even think he's talking to you. Yeah. (laughs) And God was like, I'm doing stuff that you can't see. So you just keep enduring. And, and now to hear David talk about that as, you know, God's ministry of presence, just sitting with him in his grief, um, man, it was so humbling to know that I was so short-sighted and self-centered and worried about external things that didn't matter. Wow. And about six months in, um, our 15-year-old niece, who was really struggling, moved in because she was headed in a not good direction. And talk about a snap back to reality um, that forced us to communicate and to get on the same page and took us to our knees to beg God for wisdom (laughs) and um, was really a catalyst of healing as hard as that season was to become parents in our early 20s of a teenager. um, (laughs) God God showed up in the midst of all of that. And and so now, you know, my greatest thing that I try to remember, um, well, I guess there's two. One is, you know... I always need to be his biggest fan and I know he's always going to be mine. And then number two, when I feel like I'm tired or frustrated or like I want to sit on the opposite end of the couch, that's a clue that I need to move toward him. Wow. And even if I'm tired or I don't feel like having a conversation, I just need to move toward him. And um, that's how we keep things in check. Wow. I mean... It's amazing how I I think it was a divine appointment to even have this call because to hear your thoughts on both leadership and marriage and juggling it all, I mean, really has been special for me. So I know that our listeners are going to find it to be so um, encouraging and to to hear your heart on all of these topics. So um, if you had any tips for our listeners who are just kind of trying to figure out life as they make their dreams happen, what would that, what would that be? Mm. That's a good question, Kelsey. Okay, so one of them, I know you're going to appreciate because we're both Campwell alumni. Yeah. And I know we would both hugely recommend it. Um, but, you know, have have a dream defender in your life. So 
somebody that understands what's in your heart to do and talk to them often. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's going to be days that you think it's stupid and that you need to quit. (laughs) So you need to have somebody to speak life uh, to you in that moment. Also, write it down. You know, write down what is the vision? What is the dream? What is it that's in my heart to do? Write it down and then just ask yourself, what's the next step? Not the next 50 steps, but just one. What is the next step that I can take today or this week and then just do that? And then the next week, ask the same question and just never stop. So those are my two recommendations. Hey, I'll be putting them into practice. (laughs) I am so thankful to have you here today. Where can everyone find you? How can they get involved? If they want to volunteer, if they want to work with you coaching-wise, whatever capacity they can get involved, how can they find you and do that? Yeah, so I have a blog, MeredithKingBlog.com, and that is um, just a little window into my life. I write there (laughs) weekly-ish. If somebody has a question about coaching or speaking or just want to dialogue further about faith or life or leadership, that would be the place to go. I also love connecting people, uh, connecting with people on social media. So you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Kelsey, can you put that in the show notes? Can oh, yes. I'll be putting it okay, all good. on the show notes. Okay, good. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Meredith underscore A underscore King. So Meredith A King. And I love, love that. And um, to learn more about True to Life, you can go to ttlm.org as in true to life ministries.org. We've got a social media uh, platform as well, primarily Facebook. And so you can find us there. Um, so yeah, I love connecting with new friends. Oh, I just yeah. absolutely love it. And like, mm-hmm. and like we said, those will be linked up in the show notes. So everyone listening can find Meredith. And we are so thankful that you've joined us today, Meredith. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. I'm so glad to know you. I am so glad to know you. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Oh,